keep going. Hello. Welcome to the Keep Going Podcast. I'm Steve, one of your hosts, along with John Shrupp and Michael. And this sound, the music you're hearing in the background, is um, an original composition by Michael. And uh, hopefully we'll be pulling these in every week when I do my intro because it got to be a little bit, it seemed a little stale when I didn't have something else going on in the background. Don't get it twisted, though. This isn't going to be some kind of highly produced jam. We are uh, still keeping our raw dog approach to our interview and our discussions, but we thought it might be fun to highlight a little bit of Michael's talents, and also I just felt like when I was recording with nothing in the background, it felt a little bit weird, so yeah, thanks, Michael. So what we've got for you this week is our first official episode. We're calling it The Role of a Coach. Um, This was recorded in October and it was, I think, our third, second or third conversation. Third conversation, I believe. Um, the mix is a little better. The audio is a little better. And uh, for this episode, we we decided to lead with this one. We had another one recorded that you'll get to hear. Um, it'll be the next episode we we put out. It'll be called The Shit. Um, and it it just was, the, high, the quality of that one was just really low. We were using a lavalier mic and on Mike, on John, and John's, um, his conversational style is active, let's just say, and we needed to set something else up, so we've, with this episode, our sound is much better, and we feel better about it, um, and also it's a more cohesive episode, the first, the next one you'll hear, the shit was definitely all over everywhere, so, in this episode, we kind of talk through the role of a coach, or what makes a good coach, and in, I think what you'll find is, the keep going style um we wander throughout um we ramble on as you might say as the the great led zeppelin would say um i hope you enjoy these we have had a whole lot of fun doing them we've got now about 10 or 12 episodes in the can so we should be able to come at you on a weekly basis expectation is to release these typically on mondays of each week And we hope we're going to be with you for a year or two, or who knows, maybe we'll go even beyond that. But life's uncertain. And uh, that's why we've waited this long to get this episode out, because December was uncertain. We had some personal challenges, each of us, and um, we're about to go into a phase where Michael's got a much more crazy schedule with Treyu and the work he's doing. So hope you guys enjoy these conversations. The conviviality, I think, is special. Um, we deeply appreciate each other. We recognize and see each other for the quality human beings that we are. And, um, you know, we're not trying to set the world on fire with these. We're just trying to have conversations that we think other runners and other people might enjoy and find beneficial. So hopefully you do. And if you do, you know, do all the things. Um, maybe you wait for a few episodes to come out before you start giving us reviews or telling us we're terrible because we probably are, but we're having fun. All right. With that, I introduce to you the episode we're calling The Role of a Coach. He falls over on his back. He's like, oh shit, Michael, something popped in his head. (laughs) A hemorrhage in his... (laughs) Oh, I gotta find that skit. Alright guys, so what are we talking about today? John? Um, I liked... 
the idea about the role of the coach. Because uh, I think we may have even mentioned it last week. And ever since last week, I was obsessing over all the things we were talking about because I haven't had the opportunity to obsess about anything for a while. So I thought about the role of the coach. And then I think you brought it up in the email thread. And I like the only thing that comes into my head aside from all the nuances and everything is just is a guide. And I, I mean, a guide can be any number of things. Um, but that's, that's just, you know, is it a teacher? Is it, you know, I don't know. And I was exploring the differences of coaching because when we left from the conversation, you, you guys have two different styles of coaching. And I thought that that was an interesting statement. Like what exactly does that mean? And what is the common factor? What's the common denominator between them? What, like even in varying styles, is there a basis of success or, or an outcome? So, um, I've been thinking about of all the different coaching styles, what are the common denominators between them that are generally successful? What are the traits that they share? And I have some ideas on that, but it's, that was what I've been thinking about too. Well, that's cool because that's, yeah, I think that's good, but I think there are two things going on here. One is what's the role of a coach, mm -hmm. which John brought up. And then what you're bringing up is kind of what makes a good coach which Ooh, yeah. so which one is they're the kind of a little bit different. I think we can go into both of them, mm -hmm. but I think it's important with, because John led with what's the role of a coach. I think it's a good place to go. Um, I agree with John that the role of a coach at a fundamental level is a guide, but I don't think most coaches start there. Mm -mm. I think that we've been coaching for 30 plus years. So we know that our role is much more of a guide. Right. Whereas if you'd met me 10 years in, I was a coach. Yeah. Um, and you met me 20 years in, I'm a teacher. Right. And then by the time I finally roll down the, all of my sharp edges rolled over from getting rolled down the road right. that life does to us, I yeah. end up going, well, maybe I'm just a guy, yeah. which I think is actually a higher calling in yeah. a way. It reminds me of the idea of Virgil in Dante's, you know, his divine comedy that what was he doing there? He was helping him through that dark wood right and that's kind of what i think coaches are doing we're trying to um, make better humans we're trying to create uh, a wisdom base mm -hmm. somatically right inside bo somebody's body you're trying to get them to become wise right what is wisdom it's making appropriate decisions for the context and the situation so somebody might be saying what you think you're actually helping me be wise well at a fundamental level, yeah, because if you just go by what your internal nervous system is telling you at a time when it's 18 miles, you know, 30K into a marathon, if you just listen to that, it's probably going to taste, stop, motherfucker, stop. Yeah. You know? So wisdom is knowing that there, there's this information thread coming through, but I need to divert myself away from it or figure out a way to deal and manage it. And I mean, you can't give a point by point with that. You can't say, I mean, if I just said, what do you do at 30K? You know what? You and I would both say, context, please. Yeah. If you don't give me some context, it's going to be really hard. Um, and, uh, you know, we don't, you and I are good enough at what we do that we probably don't need the whole life story or even the coach athlete relationship. But what we need to do, know is generally, is this athlete prepared to be where they're at at the right. pace that they're running? And if the answer is yes, well, then there's a whole thread that you go down. Yeah. If the answer is no, then 
it's triage. Yeah. Yeah. So we're just guiding. You yeah. know what I mean? You're, you're, you're not actually, you're, you're not pulling out a list. <laughs> like as a teacher, when I was thinking about being a teacher, oh, there's, there's steps, there's processes, right. there's ways to do it. And when I was a coach, it was um, mental toughness. Yeah. Mental toughness. This is the way we're going to do it. Yeah. Sort of like mind over matter. Right. And then after a while, you realize matter is controlling mind, and the mind is actually in matter. That's right. where the teacher comes around. The guide is like, oh, no, none of that is actually really real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think the guide includes teacher. I think it includes coach. Yes. Um, it transcends and includes. Yeah. And, um, the, you know, the, 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 coach, the coaches I always go back to and read the most are the ones who are rarely talking about like the specificity of what they're doing. You know what I mean? They're, they, it's, um, you know, they always talk about, uh, so-and-so really learned patience this time around or whatever. Or, um, like if you listen to Kipchoge's coach, it's like, his great strength is that he remains focused all the time. It's not so much, you know, it's that he's consistent. He does the same thing week after week. That's his strength. Mm -hmm. And when, you know, the, when there are coaches who, um, I think, I don't know if they, if they're disguising their, um, naivete or whatever, or whatever it is, and they just start unloading numbers on you and data. Th that's always where I kind of like, so you're, you're coaching a robot or are you creating, you know, a player piano? What? So it's, you know, and there were like, when you talked about your coaching phase, mine was in the same coaching phase. It's, um, the coaching phase was an extension of the, the teaching phase. So it was like, this is the way we're going to do it. And I'm going to tell you everything about it. You know what I mean? And then you're just filling their brain with information that they don't need at that moment, which ends up clouding their efforts and all that, you know, you, but you, let's you, be, let's be fair. If you didn't lead with that, they would have left you. Oh yeah, no, no, no. There, I think there. I think there's like a trajectory. Is what I'm saying. Like you go through all this stuff, and you're doing what has to be done at that time. Um. But then after a while, you're like, you know, that was really good, but maybe it was a little much or something. You know what I mean? You always look. You always hindsight is always twenty twenty. Well, because the athlete gloms onto it, or they grab a hold yeah. of it, and they take it, and they let. They, and you didn't intend for it to be that way, but that's what they're looking for. And I, that's why I think we found out that the coaching and the teaching works to a point, but the primary issue is getting a result. Yeah, you know, right. um, and. I don't know, Michael, do you have an idea of what a coach's role is before we move to the, because I think the idea of a coach's role is pretty short and concise. You have a viewpoint, you stand there and we might disagree, but well, you and I don't, but you might disagree and then we can kind of come to a place. But the idea of what a, what a good coach is will create a wide variety of other discussions and topics. So as you experience that, this topic of what the role of a coach is, you know, 
what's your perspective on that? What, what comes to mind, first of all, is what I'm trying to place myself in. Am I an athlete or am I thinking through the lens of, am I a coach for um, my business? The, the few people on the business. And I'm trying to draw a conclusion on if those, if a coach is similar to uh, a leader of a small team or a CEO or something, I'm trying to, to see if there's a difference between those two things. And I'm drawing a lot of similarities, but behind the way coaches think and the way that I think about uh, my team. Now, I don't necessarily think of myself as a coach right. to the employees. Um, or the crew that I work with every day, I, I think about it more as um, I'm guiding. It's my it's my duty to be have an equal parts rational and irrational kind of momentum to mm. make the thing go. Like I just have to make the thing go. So I'm in my mind. What comes right off the bat are all these inputs that kind of make me wonder what a coach is um, in my position or if I'm thinking about it through the lens of an athlete. I hope that makes a little bit of sense, but also what comes to mind is this, I, I watched this great, like kind of a, like, like many other people um, in my position and not in my position, uh, I admire all of the old Steve Jobs interviews. And there were two that I'm thinking of. One was, I think it was a commencement speech. Uh, and he was talking about connecting the dots. So like the paradise or not the paradise in hindsight, but hindsight is 2020 was, was about you, you you can't, you can't even remotely know how to move forward by connecting the dots forward. So thinking about them in, in retrospect. So he ran his operation very much like the coach that you guys are, are describing. And then the, and then the other, uh, so yeah, that's, that's basically where my mind goes to that. It's lots of sensory inputs that are firing off. Well, I, I just want to say one thing about are you a coach in the role that you play as a business owner? And my feeling is 100%. You know, in the 70s and the 80s, there were more athletic coaches. If you asked what a coach was, they're all going to go to athletics. If you ask in 2022 what a coach is, they're either going to be a business coach or a life coach. They're gonna, there are way more business coaches and life coaches yeah. than there are athletic coaches period. And we're talking, and I'm talking about every school and every junior high and every high school. I still think there are more life coaches and business coaches Mm -hmm. and because of the proliferation of media delivered to them. So Mm -hmm. I would say, yes, if you are trying to get a result and you're trying to help that person see who they are through the result, then you're a coach. If you're trying to get a result, then you are a coach in a way. But I think the other component is crucial. That's where John and I are talking about the role. The role is to guide so that they can help. Like like the whole, that dumb old cliche of teach a man to fish. Mm -hmm. Right? So that's what coaches, I think, at the end are doing. Oh, 100%. And and the the little, like... You mentioned Kipchoge and his coach, and I'm thinking directly of Johnny Ives, the Apple, right. you know, former chief design officer. And they, when they asked him one time, was there ever a business deliverable? You can directly replace that. What time do you want in a marathon? Right. You, you know what I mean? And he, he looked straight at the, uh, the, the question, and he, and he said, absolutely not. We never talked about the outcome. We only... The only thing that was addressed was what 
what do we think about life? It's like we only talked about what we think about the world and how we look at the world and how we're dealing with everything and, you know, how the chords fit into the box. Right. And that was it. And I thought that that the parallel between Kipchoge and Johnny Ives is like, yeah. it's perfect. Yeah. So I think um, the role of a coach is very much the role of of a leader of a team, which is to guide the ethos and to guide guide the intent. Yeah. Yeah. The, well, yeah, the intent is, um, I think, a really big part of it, too. Like when the coach says there's that group of people and I'm going to go work with them. What is their intent? Mm -hmm. Right. What is the coach's intent? And if it's like if the coach's intent is, man, my shit is so good. I'm going to make world beaters. That's not the intent that maybe is going to actually thrive. You know <laughs> what I mean? Write that down. <laughs> if, if your intent is, I see a ragtag group of misfits over there and I'm going to see if we can do something that they've barely even thought of. That's, that's, I think that's a more noble intent rather than like the coach going, look what I can do. And, you know, I think there's a point, particularly now because of so much digital, like, and I, I have a couple friends who coach online and they have big fancy, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And there are a couple, there are a couple of them where there are more selfies in there than it needs to be. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? You know, are you doing this for you? Or are you, so the, it ha <laughs> the athlete has to be like the center of the universe for that. That's a good question that I'd like to ask both of you, which is how much critical buy-in does a coach have to an athlete's outcome? Or does that not even cross? If I were to come to you, Steve, and I would have say, I, I'm ready to go run a two, sub-250 marathon. Um, I don't fucking care. You don't care. That's awesome. But so I had to earn that over many years of caring way too much. So mm -hmm. that's a wisdom. If I would say to someone who was a young coach, I would say that they probably, if I was helping someone down the road, I'd say it's probably really important to know why that person wants to run that time. But I'm already of the, from the point of view that your time is arbitrary. There's only two times. There's only a few times in the, in the, in the world where time matters. That's getting in a qualifier of some sort. Um, and if you tell me that Boston matters that way, I'll say it's always changing. So you mm -hmm. don't. So basically at the end of the day, when most people are coming to me and John to help them with their marathoning, either the Olympic trials standard for us or a Boston qualifier is a standard. One is much less arbitrary. The Olympic trials qualifying standard. The other is mostly arbitrary and everybody else that's not shooting for those two things, their goal time is completely arbitrary. So when you say outcome, that's that if it's time related outcome, I don't care. But I'll, pre and I'll tell my athletes that. I'll say, I don't care what your fucking time is. Mm -hmm. And you know, take, yeah. <laughs> facially, that'll, that'll of course. send an athlete into a frenzy, well, which is a good here, thing because you're looking at it through a psychological lens. I've been doing this for long enough that I can take that and feed it because I then immediately put my arm you know, I punch him in the mouth and I put my arm around him and I say hey but whatever you decide I'm going to do my best if I'm on board with it I'll do my best to help you achieve that but just realize my metrics for success don't have anything to do with whether you cross the finish line so at your that time. role is not to preserve the integrity of the goal per se it's it's to preserve the integrity of the intent my job in a in a really simple 
declarative statement that I've made multiple mm -hmm. times. My job is to give my athlete a great starting line experience. Awesome. I have no other responsibility. There, what happens between the, I, I can do, it took, that was also a hard one. It's caring more than my athlete did about the number at the back of their name or the number at the front of their name. You know, I worked with a lot of elite athletes and high school athletes and college athletes and the number at your front of your name really matters in those places. As I moved, as I was coach, I've always been coaching adult athletes for marathoning and stuff. And so their focus is on the number at the back of their name. There are some psychological changes and differences that occur between those two things, but generally they're metric, they're metric focused, the outcome focused. Yeah. And I'm just now at the point where process is the most important thing. And if there is an outcome to me, it's wisdom. What I would actually go even deeper than that, I would say to try to get into people's mind space is um, soul making, mm -hmm. helping you be the best soul you can possibly be. And I know there's a lot of baggage, baggage attached to that, but mm -hmm. I'm okay with that. But I don't lead with that. I just say my job is to give you a great starting line experience because from then on, it's your job. That's a nice perspective. I think that's a really cool. It takes, take <clears throat> puts the, takes the pressure off. Now I still keep a running I mean, I still keep a win-loss record. If yeah. the athlete wanted to run 250 and they ran 253, that's a loss. I take it. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not losing personal responsibility. I'm a big believer in a coach is responsible for the results of their athletes. And so I'm not abdicating that responsibility, but I am saying that athlete's goal and my goal might be different, but I'm going to judge myself internally on my goal for the athlete. And a lot of those are so virtue related or so character related. It's so wisdom soul related that they're really hard metrics to kind of pin down on like a, like a butterfly or put down on a spreadsheet. But their goal is usually super easy to pin down. And I just give myself a win or a loss based on their goal. And now I'll have a caveat to say, I want, even though I lost, I won because that loss is going to be a great boon for them because now maybe they'll change the way they approach it or they'll adjust it in a different way or they'll come at this from a different perspective. And how do you deal with that? And again, and going back to the role of a coach being a guide, how, have you, how do you succeed I mean, this job is hard because every, the whole, everybody that's actually paying you to be a coach is expecting a result and you have so little control hmm. because they come in with an intention and I try to get buy-in on that. If I don't believe that they can do it, I try to negotiate, but eventually, cause I'm crazy. I'm like, yeah, I'll go and I'll just deal with it later. But right. that's cause I've. You know, so there's a lot, there's a lot there that I just talked about, but you know, to me that that job is to give them a great starting line experience. So it's not outcome related. Um, it's process related. That's how I would view it. And again, as I said, that's a hard earned, hard earned, hard won lessons to yeah. get to that point. Yeah. That didn't come naturally for me. I'm the dude who started running when he was six and racing when he was eight. And for many years I said, I want to cut people's heads off and shit down their throats. So yeah. that, and I, that guy is still in me because I want to win. But what winning is now is something a, a, a lot different than it was before. Yeah, it is. I think it, well, it is hard because ultimately you're dealing with other humans and everybody has uh, a different intent. Everybody has a different history. Everybody, everybody's different. And so in teaching or coaching or anything where you're working face-to-face -face with individuals all the time, um, 
you have to be adaptable in order to continue doing what you're doing. You, I mean, you can't go, this is my training uh, philosophy. And if you don't buy into it, um, it's not going to work. If they don't buy into the coaching, they're never going to get it anyway. But if, if, and if you have an athlete who is not internally motivated to do, to, to buy in, to um, do the work, even if they think it's not the work, then they're, then. Sounds like AA. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> there's, there's a, there's a, there's yeah. a success rate that's attributed to, to people who can make that original commitment. Yeah versus and and it has nothing to do with what level of skid rowness you're you're like kind of bringing to the table it has zero it it doesn't matter Uh, the only the real common denominator between what makes uh that uh, maybe in my experience was was a simple commitment yeah and that that's it was such an interesting concept to Sounds so simple, right? But, oh, you just make a commitment. But yeah. there's something deeper than a commitment that's almost like uh, you, you can just tell it. You can see it in their eyes. You can see it in the way that they react. You can see it. But not everybody's got that. Right. Um, I remember at one point in time, I was really, really just absolutely stoked on uh, heart rate training. Yeah. And still am to a very big extent because it took my, you know, middle packerness and turned me into somebody that could complete a long distance race. Right. And I did it through like Maffetone right. method, got my little math number and just started running slower. And I was like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta spread this to the world. And this was m- many years ago. I called it like outreach coaching. And I was like, for anybody who's getting out there and wants to do this thing, I think I found the solution. Yeah. And I got like 10 people and they all tried it for a week. Yeah. And then they all quit. <laughs> and I was like, wait, wait, you guys don't want to run slow to go fast? Like, what's the deal here? Yeah. And, but there, what I realized, like in hindsight, of course, was that there wasn't a true uh, commitment to where they were even going, what they were going to do with it. There was no, there was no outcome that they wanted. So it was, yeah. it was an interesting little, little yeah, pair there. That's really funny. The, you know, I used to think the coaches, role included being a motivator and there's certainly you have to you know you you have to play hype man sometimes right um but if if there's not internal motivation like real true internal motivation and they're doing it because they think they have to or whatever that makes it a lot more difficult. If you're someone who has to like, come on, you need to get with the program. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If, if you're having to say that more than, you know, one or two times and the athletes just, just not that they can't pick it up, but they're just not going, they're just, they're, they're not going to, then you, you have to figure out what that relationship is, where it's going to go from there. If I think, I, at least I'm you better. You can't motivate drive, no, essentially. You, you can't, can't like mo- instill that into no, somebody. Someone who's not going, and not just drive like I'm going to go, I'm going to go out every day and be consistent, but the drive to actually try to get it. Like, why 
did I tell you to take three days and only go 30 minutes and, you know, I, yeah, you need to know why, but at the same time, if I say, look, you need to do this, you need to be, have the internal drive to go, yeah, I'm going to do this. Mm. And there are some people who just, I don't know. And I don't even know what, what it is, but they're just like, no, I can't. I, oh, I know exactly what it is. Yeah. Compulsion. Yeah. Because the, they've already been patterned pre, before you, mm. they were pre-patterned. Yeah culturally or by a coach yeah. or through their own lived experience because especially you and I work with a lot of adult athletes who have been down the road a lot of different roads in their life and by the time they get to this they just plug and play right the process and yeah. go hard or go home works in the business world it works in a lot of other worlds and doesn't really work in distance running the I think it doesn't even work like, like I work with triathletes a lot. I love working with triathletes because they I don't have to go into the geek meter shit. They're right. already like way into that stuff. <laughs> and they're probably and, ahead of you. And <laughs> I, well, they're way ahead of me because yeah. I don't really care. But yeah. they do. But they I can just toggle that switch and just say let just let me let me just work on your running part. And because there's so much of that um, is easy, they know the heart rate, so they're already in that zone. I'm like, do you just you just give them the you give them the the tools and they get that they can go easy. Right. But they don't get is that load is a huge aspect of, I mean, when we talk about physiology, like I hear swim coaches and cycling coaches try to talk in the same language as a distance running coach. And we don't, when you talk about thresholds, various thresholds, these are different when they're loaded and unloaded. Yeah. They're completely different. And the experience that the athlete has is different when they're loaded and unloaded. Um, and I think that runners just, and all other activities that they do, whether business, life, you know, sobriety, whatever the case may be, they're bringing to it this sort of checklist that has worked for them. And that checklist becomes habitual. And then that habit, because they get feedback loops that are positive, becomes compulsive. And they can't separate their identity from the checklist and the habits. And now you've got a compulsion that's really, really sticky. And so then that's when the coach actually has to kind of come down and say, all right, I need you to, I need you to get by in here. And let me give you a little bit of physiological understanding of it. And then if they don't, then you just keep shoving the shit right back on them. When they come back injured, you don't let them off the hook. When they come back failure from their, their perception of a failure, you yep. go back to them and say, why do you think that happened yeah. when you have an athlete that's consistently overtraining? I mean, you know, you've worked with them, the ones who just cannot put, they can't recover. You have to, you, you, you know, you want them to, they have to eat shit a little bit. They've yeah. got to eat crow a little bit to get that buy-in. Yeah. Um, but I think that to me, one of the questions I have for you, John, is how do you judge your success? I, how, what, because as another coach, I gave you a clear indication of how I do, which is a little, a yeah. little bit, a little, I don't know if it would be controversial, but it's certainly not conventional. How do you approach? Like, how do you say we did a good job here? How do you know when you did or didn't do a good job? Well, you know, um, the instant gratification short term part is, you know, everybody hit their goal times. That's super fun. Um, but I think, Ultimately, if I think I'm probably a successful coach, if I get to a place where someone goes, oh yeah, I get it, then, then that's really all it is. 
it's um you know i can um repeat the same things over and over and over week after week after week um if i don't alter my message at different times so that different people can understand it then i'm not doing my job if i don't alter my um you know heavy handedness with an individual based on that individual's need or whatever then i'm not doing my job you it's so it's that's why i say guide because to me guide encompasses everything from like teacher to coach to psychotherapist um, psychotherapist that's <laughs> the hardest part um to um you know mentor like, you know mentor mentors yeah mentors it's a hard job it's really hard and you know probably most people don't need mentoring because they're you know they're doing their own thing and they're just there to show up a few hours a week but there are some people like who i really want to you know i know this is maybe six years away but i want to qualify for the olympic trials you've got to get and a different so relationship. at that point if you're going to spend several years doing a project together you have to sort then the mentor thing and so you have to be adaptable and that was the lesson i learned because a lot of times i wasn't adaptable i was like look man this is kind of the way it is yeah. you know and that it's just that doesn't help anybody uh, but it does it does though john because there are times where we don't know as a role of a guide and a you don't really know again mentor sort of indicates that there's going to be some clear definitive end process right. and and that that will be a way that you can binary in a binary way say it's successful or not successful yeah when you say guide it is much slippery more slippery right and so what i would say you you mentioned the things that you how you knew you were succeeded sort of in from the via negativa right? right like the ways i know i'm not successful right which i think is really interesting because it is true because what we do when we know we're successful, it's really hard to tell yeah. anybody else that we it, that we know. But you know when you're laying there in bed that night and you go to bed and you're like, boom, motherfucker, got that shit done. Yeah. And other times you lay there yeah. and you're like, no, what am I missing? And you can't sleep all yeah. night and you're thinking about it from and if and if you're working with multiple athletes that are running on the same day, this creates all this other kind of feedback loop stuff that becomes interesting but challenging to try to pick apart was this community is this part of our culture part of our community part of our part of the at one athlete buying in another one not so two athletes are trying to run two fit sub 250 at the same race on the same day and have a very similar training and they run together and then one runs 247 and the other one runs 257 right and they ran the whole way together until some critical juncture so they followed the plan what what happened Right. You know what I mean? It's like at that point, you're like, good coaches sit there and say, okay, then I got a two. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to say every coach. As a coach, I go, I get a 253 that day then. The 247 gets slower and the 257 gets faster. But something I did didn't go right. Right. If they're both together. And so then I'm like, oh, piece this apart. How do I figure that out? So it's like almost like we can't really say exactly what it is that success, but we know it when we see it and we know it when we feel it. Um, and I think that that's one of the hardest things for young coaches or beginning coaches to get 
that yeah. they just want to use. And in that case, it's win loss record's the best way to go. Yeah, it's I just, think just you succeed by whether people get better or don't get better because big, you don't really have enough body of work to be able to be nuanced with it. The failures that I think about are the ones that, that I look back on where I either didn't have the capacity to, I wasn't willing to, or I didn't know how to adapt. Where I felt like ultimately, I just, I couldn't do it for them. And that's when I feel like I fail. Ultimately, it's not a failure because in the grand scheme of things, nobody's ever gonna remember that we, you know, this guy stopped working with this group of people or what, you know what I mean? But it's because I felt like I had put myself in a position to help them achieve whatever goals they wanted. And I couldn't relate to them in a way that they could interpret what I was saying. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I automatically always bring it back to myself, even if the athlete is super squirrely and shows up to one workout every month and you know, the whole thing, I'll still kind of go, why couldn't I get them to show up to the workouts? Mm. Even if it like, oh, they had a huge cocaine habit. That's why, you know, <laughs> I'll still go, you know, I could have I I done something. I could have sent them to NA. Or mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, so that I, you, when I say guide, it's to put like a whole umbrella over the whole thing without identifying anything because there are so many variables. Ultimately, your goal is to teach them to run in such a way that they run faster or farther or whatever. But there's, you know, particularly nowadays when information moves so quickly um it it's i think it's harder to develop a personal coaching relationship because everything is so digital and you know all of our attention spans are shorter people people, can learn from so many different areas right you can go on youtube and get a training plan but people aren't spending you know like when you're coaching you know, what, 90 minutes, a couple times a week, few hours, long run on the weekend, you're not spending that much time with these people. Right. And so you, it's like, that's the part where you ha- you're paying attention when you're there talking to their friends. You're listening to like, figuring out what makes them tick so that you can help them qualify for Boston. Or, when you know I coached I mean? at UT, the most important periods of time were when I was driving to and from workouts with the girls in the van. Yeah. <laughs> and I yeah. knew what music they were listening mm-hmm. to, what they were talking about, boy trouble, girl trouble, school trouble, challenges, family trouble. Yep. And then, you know, those are the things that contextually we don't get very often, unless we've got a super talkative athlete. And then sometimes we're like, oh, that's a little too much. I'd rather hear it <laughs> instead of you translating your trouble through yourself. It's good mm-hmm. to hear it as they translate it from other people. So generally throughout a training cycle, what I've found myself in is there's always this kind of, there's the typical uh, story arc, your, you know, your, your exposition. What is the story arc? It's the introduction or the exposition and then the character development. Right. And then, well, it always comes to a climax. And that climax for me is the psychological break which is in terms of not knowing where I am or what I'm, what I'm made of. And at that point in time, I generally look for a little bit of clarity to kind of like an objective snapshot of what's going on because I'm fatigued. Um, I don't know how the first part of the training cycle is gone and I really don't have an idea of what I'm capable of. 
and from somebody coming with a generally kind of lower reservoir of like self-esteem than um, I would like to own. Um, and the training cycle helps with that, of course. Um, but I'm oft- often grabbing for kind of clarity. Um, and in another, in another circumstance, my team at work, they often need clarity, black and white. You need to be here at this time. This is how you report it. This is the kind of report I need, and I need that done now or in the next hour. And most importantly, they, they kind of like, when's it due? And so when an athlete comes into that territory, we're all different. I don't, I don't have the same psychological profile at the climax of that training block as every other athlete. I think that's right. what makes things dynamic and what makes me understand, John, that this adaptable is this kind of like kingpin trait that you keep recalling. Is that where the adaptability shines the most? And what exactly, uh, in your experience, what does that feel like emotionally or tangibly or how do you deal with it? I don't know what the most important uh, interesting way to answer that kind of thought is for for both of you specifically. But what's your thought on the different styles of approaches during the climax of an athlete's training block, and what is, what comes to mind? Well, I think managing the highs and lows is really really important because the highs are what keeps people going forward. You know what I mean? Because, you know, it's like getting the runners high or whatever, but um, you have to sustain that level of excitement at the same time sort of tempering the enthusiasm to do, to do more, which oftentimes is sort of the instinctual, like, everything is going great. Let's go. You know, and people are like double down, double down. Yeah. <laughs> and so you have to sort of temper that enthusiasm at the same time. And you have, you have to like, this is part of the process, understand where it is in context. And let's th- take this moment forward with this. So you can continue to feel like you're thriving, but understand that this, like everything else is going to, you know, this is, this is not the high, this is a high. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? This is not, because a lot of... You know, that's it's like the, the Tibetan book of living and dying. Then the first chapter is, it, you know, the, the mentor was on... Oh, sorry for the noise outside. But the mentor was on uh, the deathbed. Right. And finally, the student had a moment of clarity. And it was like kind of attained kind of an objective outlook on what was going on, kind of understood the karmas and the passing and the, right. and the, the bardos passing through the next bardo. And he got so excited and the mentor looked at him and he said, no, 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 not that excited. Right. <laughs> Just <laughs> kind of use that. Right. But don't use that right. like that. Just yeah. stay right in the middle. So kind of harnessing the good and understanding. The- yeah. You, and you, you know, when someone reaches that sort of peak, you're like, isn't this awesome? And tomorrow, it's going to be different. And, you know, you certainly never want to, like, yuck somebody's yum. Like, as my wife would say, talking to my kids. But at the same time, as part of the guide, you have to let them know that this high has consequences. 
you know? The, you know, they, there's another flip to that. If you take it from the other perspective of um, the experience of an athlete having a poor performance, yeah, um, you can't, you know, you, you have to make them realize that that yuck is part of the yum yeah. <laughs> in a way, right? Like that, right. I would say to the girls after they got done with a poor race performance, we would try to break it down. We would have our moments of sadness and frustration and figure out where we were at. And then eventually at the point I would be like, yeah, but just remember tomorrow you're going to wake up. You're going to put your running stuff on. You're going to put your shoes back on. You're going to walk out the door and you're going to go run. And if it's not tomorrow, it'll be on Monday. Yeah. If it's not on Monday, it'll be Tuesday, depending on where we are. So we're just going to keep rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. Um, you know, my, from my perspective, this idea of what happens at the climax moment and how you deal with the climax moment, a lot of that has to do with um, something I've been thinking about a lot recently because I've noted how much, how little I put the value in this concept, which is tight coupling of feedback loops. So you, in order to have any knowledge of how to adjust in real time, like you're talking about that climax, if it's going good, going bad, John was saying, if it's going good, how do you temper? If it's going bad, how do you bring them out of it? Is, did they train any of these feedback loops prior? Were they made aware of those feedback loops? So there might be some kind of a way to decouple if it's not going well, or double down in a way that's more advantageous. Um, and those feedback loops, and if you'd couple the feedback loops appropriately, then the overexcitement sort of quickly begins to realize it's not the thing, like in the Tibetan book of living and dying. Right. It's not the thing. That thing that you're so excited about is not the thing. That's mm -hmm. just an ephemeral idea. And we're steeped enough in the Buddhist tradition, all three of us, to know that the whole point is that these states are not the state, right? right? Um, and this is, how do you know that though? You have to then come back to the cushion in that case, or in our case, get back out there and do it, good and bad. Um, you know, one thing that I think is really interesting with that narrative arc that I've also experienced with my athletes is how to get them out of the negative feedback loop when you're in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I stumbled upon this from a Tibetan Buddhist teacher, although he calls it, he calls it, um, Brooklyn Mahamudra. So it's a little bit different, right? It's like the Mahamudra tradition is a little different than the other yeah. Buddhist traditions because it's a more, it's a really direct experience kind of thing. It's kind of steeped in Dzogchen if you're into that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But anyway, his basic approach is that you have to get into this more, the idea behind it is that you've got to get into this spacious openness place. And so I'll work with my athletes a lot of times and say, if you're in a bad place here and you're in the middle of this race and it's not going well, what's your state? Are you positive or negative? Yeah. Are you, and then like, it's negative. And so what does that feel like? Is it open or closed? It's closed. Can you open it? No. Okay, just keep going. Do what yeah. you're doing. Mm -hmm. But every once in a while, ask yourself, can you open? Because if you can get that little leverage position of staying open, typically humor helps with this. Gratitude yeah. helps yeah. with this. Um, seeing things really for what they are creates some sort of opening, but that opening then allows the athlete to kind of push through and say, okay, wait, I asked for this fucking thing. I'm at 30K. It's sucking. I knew it was a good chance it was going to happen and I'm here. So now what do I do with it? Now you've right. de decoupled from the watch and now the feedback loop that I'm talking about, that coupling of feedback loops is beyond the data resets. It's, it's a reset of core condition, core conditioning. Like where's your physical attribute? Where's your mental attribute? Where are these aspects going on? And of course, 
we can't talk about that very often. Luckily, I've got a format to talk about it because I've got an online space where I can type up and right. write all kinds of things and do lectures and do things. So I've got the ability to try to get that across to people. Um, when you're doing it, you have to do it right there. Right. That tight feedback loop is so hard to do, which is why I know you ride your bike with athletes a lot. Well, right. I don't do a lot of that because yeah. I just don't. And and it's like that that feedback loop coupling it would be interesting to know from your perspective, how do you, how do you, thinking of this narrative arc, how do you get there? How do you get to that place? And how do you even know? The decoupling itself? Like- no, no, where they're there. How do you bring the, how do you bring that feedback loop? So, so basically the athlete is having an experience and the coach needs to tell them this experience equals what we were talking about. Right. So then they can more actively go there. And it could be yeah. related to time. Yeah, that's 10K pace. Yeah, that's 10K pace. Yeah, that's 10K pace. Or it could be a feeling. Right. Or it could be a rhythm. Or yeah. it could be or it could be on a hill. How do you handle it? Body positioning and right. pitch. And you know these things. You know these things, John, at the deepest core level. You couldn't even really actually write it out if right. somebody asked you to. Yeah. But but when I'm not I'm not asking you what that is, but I'm asking you how do you how do you approach your coaching to be there for that feedback loop? Because in my own experience, that's what I found is the biggest challenge is being in the right place at yeah. just the right time to get I that. Always mm -hmm. think of like I always think about it in terms of a feeling, like the way you mentioned. And that so like I'd be riding with Rory and he'd have I don't know, I'll make some, it 30K progression, right? And there's no parameters, but we wanna get as close to this pace as possible. Come, if you can be comfortable, right? There's always that big capital. If you're feeling good, mm -hmm. we can go here. And of course, no matter what I ask, you know, Rory, how are you feeling? Okay, you know, it's, there's no, his verbal feedback is never really the feedback that I, you know? If he says, I feel good, then I know he feels really, really good. And mm -hmm. he's about to start nailing it. So I have, with Rory, I have to watch him because his verbal feed, you know, if I stand on the track and he's on the other side of the track, I can't even, my vision isn't really enough to see him. So, so you put yourself into place. I to, have to, yeah. I feel like I have to be there because he can say, I'm feeling okay. And I look at him and I'm like, this dude is not in a good place. And so then you have, then my thing was, okay, who are you waiting for? Like, you know, you go out and run with some friends and everybody's feeling good, but this never ever happened to me, but you're the fittest of the group, right? Mm -hmm. And so you have to, <laughs> you have to, you have to take your foot off the gas just a hair so that everybody can enjoy this together. So I'd say to Rory, who are you waiting for? Just so he would come off the gas a little bit. Mm -hmm. So he would get that feeling. And that, it took me like three years to figure that out. But that was, that's the example I have, mm. you know, where, and. I mean, isn't that the art? When we talk about like the, the, the art of running, of right. coaching right. is that, that it took you three years with one athlete right. to come up with a term that's meaningless to 99.999% of the world. Right. Who are you waiting for? Because if you say that, I immediately think, oh, maybe he's going to speed up now. Right. Because I think of the, and the I mean, yeah. that is so non-intuitive right. and so learned and lived yeah. in the experience of you and your experience and Rory and his experience and how those things sit yeah. together. This is just one of the things, if there's people that are listening to us talk about this and their coaches, this is why I stated years ago, it takes 10 years 
to be a good coach. I mean, that doesn't mean that people can't get great results and coaches should not, should not get into it because you're never going to get into it if you don't. (laughs) Joe Boss hard. (laughs) I mean, some people get in there and they kick (laughs) ass right off. Now he had some great mentors, which is something I want to come up with. And I want to, I want to turn this direction, this to a different direction in a Mm -hmm. second. But I do think that that's something that's really crucial to understand that it takes a while. And I'm sure even Joe with his wife, Emma Coburn, who's one of the greatest steeplechase, the greatest female steeplechaser in the U.S. history, right. period. I mean, that may change over the coming years, but to this point, she's there. Um, and they're married, so they live together all the time. And I'm sure he's still figuring these feedback loop coupling situations. Yeah. Like, they're hard to get. And, well, and, and they they change over time. Oh, they do. Because, right? they, yeah, they do. Because the athlete's changing. And if the athlete is the center of the universe, that's where the coach has to be adaptable. And... Yeah, well, with Joe, like his all of his first athletes world world class class athletes, and then like, what are the chances of that happening? But and they and a lot of them came through systems with coach. If you notice who he's working with, he's working with athletes who were already coached by coaches who matched the vibe setting that worked for him. Right. You know, I know when Sarah Sutherland, who I worked with at the University of Texas, then she transferred to. Colorado and then she was looking for groups and she tried a few things but then she fell into that group and it was I mean it's like going home for her right right? in a sense it's like oh this is something I understand and the coach knows they get it there's not a lot of translation that has to happen you know with that stuff and I think that's what happens with a lot of other programs is like who are they recruiting for culture you know and that's another whole like these elite these elite groups, you see things that work. Now, I think this Dathan Ritzenheim crew is super interesting because you've got people coming from all over all, everywhere. All over. And he's already had incredible success. I mean, he got some grief at the World Championships because they didn't have a great World Championships. I'm like, he's been a, coaching this group of people for t- less than 24 months. Yeah. And they're literally in the finals of the World Championships and the right. Olympics. And we're going to, and we're going to be saying, yeah. oh, he didn't have a good Olympics? Like, he didn't have a good World <laughs> Championships? Are you kidding me? Yes, he's got a creme de la creme. But, and then this is a guy who has no hard-earned coaching experience, you know? Right. So Joe is one thing, and then you've got Dathan. But you do have, I mean, as a, as a runner, when you run it a long time, you coach while you're being coached. Right. All those guys were self-coached while they were coaching because their coaches taught them how to do that. Well, maybe right. Alberto didn't, but the other ones, <laughs> the other ones did. The other ones did try to help yeah. themselves, coach themselves. Yeah. Um, yeah. One thing I did want to c- cover before we um, stop is one thing that I think is really crucial to talk about here is when you're struggling as a coach, do you, what are you using to help? And I don't, when I say struggling, I'm leaving that wide open so you can kind of go where you want to with it. But where do you, where do your, mentors and coaches you've had in the past come to play here both live you know people you worked with in a tangible live Mm -hmm. setting or for you and i i mean we were deeply influenced by people who we read their books read their books and so where do you you probably met some of them i really you know i you met lydiard i never Mm -hmm. met him but yeah no all that stuff it has to it has to be there all the time, all of that stuff, because you have to realize you didn't arrive where you are without all the, all that. 
Okay, but let's let me you know let me saying? give you a real example because you and I yeah. definitely work this dude's system right. hard. Canova. Yeah, yeah. All right. So you we did not have any contact with this guy. We right. have no idea who he is. I remember you buying this $50 pamphlet or something yeah, <laughs> from the IAAF. And then, and then me begging you if I could use it for a little yeah. while that we, we, we mimeographed it. We yeah. copied it so we could have multiple copies of it That's because awesome. basically what he was saying is I have a system. Yeah. You put one and one together and two comes out and then he would get complex with his special blocks and his yeah. different things. And you know, you think about that when you think about Canova, um, what influence does that have on you now? Like you said, it's sort of steeped in you, right? But you you didn't get words of wisdom from the master. No, you're looking at a fucking mimeograph sheet of yeah. paper that you mail order coaching, <laughs> and yet you turned in. Then you were the. I mean, I remember. Like I was watching the things that you were doing as a coach and I was still doing stuff that was coming out of the Hudson book or coming right. out of, you know, basically all those eighties and nineties right. influences that we had And Canova was definitely cutting edge, both, both, both science and art in yeah. a very strange and unusual way. And that experience, you immediately distilled that content it took me years to figure out what well, was going on with that. With, and you got it quick. Even with the language barrier, mm -hmm. right? Italian. Yeah. yeah. Um, the way he interpreted what he was trying to say, it like, I didn't need to think about. It just resonated. And I was like, that is brilliant. And it's not brilliant because he had athletes setting world records or winning or anything like that, but because the workouts are functionally successful they're not like he he created these workouts out of like trial and error you know what i mean and he didn't invent any workouts he he adapted them to the needs of his athletes and i think it may have been just because i was old enough at the time but he may have been the first coach where even if a coach had said almost verbatim the same thing 15 years earlier i just picked it up then you know what i mean he you just were, said you it were in a, a sponge at that point. At, yeah, yeah, he just said it in a way that I finally, you know, it's like when I had a tutor in geometry in high school and who finally was like, if you look at it this way, you'll get it. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, he was the first coach that I came to realize that a, a, there is no such thing as plug and play workouts. Mm -mm where the models that I had come from for so long were, oh, it's an energy system model and you plug and play these things in particular places and then you get the result, like right. as if we were fucking machines yeah. and that you could just, like the human is a machine. And he definitely said, no, there's a foundational, there's these phases that he goes through and each one is critical and crucial to the other, right. which is a theme that runs through all of the physiology right. literature and every coach is doing it. But you still get this impression that somebody can plug and play. Right. You plug and play a special block session and you are going to die yeah. or fail or not even understand it. Do a workout in the morning, come back in the afternoon, do some more work after that. Like, who does that? Like, right. I mean, that kind of stuff. Well, yeah. And now, like, uh, with the success of the Ingerbritson family, everybody's like double thresholds all day long. And, you know, people have been doing double workouts forever. You know, people are doing triple workouts. Um, the way I s saw a specific workout 
and that I immediately was like, how do I adapt this to a bunch of moms and dads who have the time <laughs> and the money to go spend two and a half hours in the morning and then two and a half hours in the afternoon and then all in the middle of the day. Not eat. You, you can't eat any carbohydrates. You can only eat oh, vegetables. I remember when Rory did that. Yeah. And workout. The so, first times I met him, I was like, oh, this is Yeah. Intense. And after, after two years, Rory's like, I don't want to do that anymore. We're not doing those anymore. Yeah. And I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I brought it. I just recently got to adapt. I just recently brought investment. it back for my CIM group. We're going to do yeah. it. Somebody requested it because, you know, yeah. I like the very first time I did it, I had a group of just, just a bunch of horses, the men and the women. Everybody was just like, dun, 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 all the time, <laughs> like head banging, you know? And yeah. so at the time, I was like, okay, you guys want to, you guys want to headbang? <laughs> and I would give them these workouts that would just be like, and, but they would get through it because everybody was so pumped up and then everybody had great races and all this stuff. But then, then, you know, looking back through the journals, like 12 months later, everybody started feeling burnout mm -hmm. 12 months later. And then I realized like, I got to tone that down even more. Mm -hmm. So then it became like with Rory, it was like two moderate progression runs it you know it kind of filtered down and now i don't even know if i would do that with a group unless i had you know unless i had a group that was just a bunch of ballers mm -hmm. yeah i do it because my understand my system so well yeah that i just know yeah. that this is just this is just lipstick on the pig right, right? the pig is still the pig i don't care if i break yeah. it into two runs if i do it in one run the pig's still the pig you're eating you're eating you're eating ham today guys it's right. bacon it's bacon all day every day right. but if you want it to look a little different you know you can have carnitas you can yeah. have bacon you can have you right. can do it a lot of different ways yeah. um but it's gonna come to you as pig yeah. because that's what it takes to get to where you need to be and you know that is, um, you know, I think about my mentors and the biggest, the, the greatest, the mentor who has the biggest effect on me still to this day is a person I got to spend some time with when I was running. It's Joe Vigil at, uh, he was, was at Adam State. He was yeah. at Adam State. And then he coached a, 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 I, when I worked with him, I worked with him for about six months when I was in a pro group that he had in Alamosa. And, but I, when I, finished my running career and then got into coaching, I would go to the U S championships and I'd see coach. That's his name is just coach. Yeah. <laughs> He's just, coach. He's one of the few coaches who's just coach. He's just coach. And I would run into him and I would say, Hey coach. Oh shit. Sisson, how are you doing today? And he was always all shit. Right. Yeah. Um, and he mentored me through my experience as a coach more because I had that opportunity to be with him as an athlete screw it up royally, not understand anything of what he was doing and perform epically pathetically and then come home, lick my wounds and then suddenly start running like a champ. And like, where did that happen? Oh, it all came from coach. And you know, the thing that I get got from him that I still think of today as the most important thing is that your worldview and your mindset must be, your worldview has to be consistent so you can't believe one thing in your day-to-day -day walk right? and then expect to perform on the track or the roads or wherever else with a different, with a different right. view. And that is something everybody's, every, almost everybody's doing wrong. And he got it right from the bat, yeah. right? And, and he wasn't 
didn't have any faith background. He didn't, he might've been a Roman Catholic, but I don't know. But he was always like, what do you believe? What do you believe? Yeah. What do you believe? And then the other thing was just be tough, which I now translate as do your best. Yeah. Like, which if you think about it, do your best, try that for a little while. Yeah. Just try uh, for a day to do your best. See how you do. <laughs> that shit's fucking hard. You're, you're in the fetal position at the end of the day. You know, the, ol the only experience I have with V-Hill was when I was living in Albuquerque. And uh, there was a guy that the shop, we were giving him shoes or something, I don't know. And he was, uh, you know, he, I, think it, I think he ended up being like a 212 guy. And he was working with Veal remotely. And uh, I think he'd been working with him for a number of years and he was coming back from an injury. And so he said, call my coach and I want you to come watch my workout. This is my first workout back. And so I called Coach Veal and he said, he's coming back, he's real, you know, you have to keep an eye on him. Um, the workout, you know, it's like 10 by a quarter and he only had to run 67 because he's coming back. And he said, if he runs one second faster than 67, he's going to get hurt, or, hurt again. And like three quarters in, he goes 66 and then 65. And then he's like, boom, blows up. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And so I called coach afterwards. I was like, we got five of them, I think. And he blew up and he's like, yeah. And, but he like, he he didn't have an attachment to it. You know what I mean? He was watching the whole thing from the outside, like physically, because he was in Arizona. He was a state away. And then two, because he knew the athlete. So he, like, if he does this, things are going to go. And to me, like, to get to that point in the relationship is, is sort of the goal where you can, where, where it becomes, it, it becomes a collaboration. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, that's the... It's not just. That's when you're cooking with grease. Yeah. That leads me to kind of my overarching <laughs> kind of, I live in, in the world of, of Instagram and yeah. YouTube and it's how we market right. these days. And I've seen, uh, not sure if it's good time for a final thought, but my, my, my mix on this whole thing is, is that, um, uh, we see we see a lot of coaching going on, um, mm -hmm. and and I equal parts. I, I I think it's I think it's a great thing because the information is spreading so fast and so far that why wouldn't we want to progress? It's great. It's great for the culture. Yep. It's great for it's great for everything. But what I'm leaving with today is how how exactly thing I'm going to be thinking about is how exactly uh, am, am I acting? What, what is my role um, being being a, a new founder of a company a couple years now would be considered green. If you put the old restaurant and kind of managing right. my career, maybe I'll have five in there, but I feel very green at the yeah. whole thing. So I'm, I'm left with a little bit of enthusiasm that I can draw on the mentors of the past and kind of go forward knowing that, Hey, you know, maybe this is just going to take time because time is, is always seeming to be the, the greatest aspect of learning and wisdom and making mistakes along the way. Well, and, you know, you're, you're an entrepreneur, right? Mm -hmm. In 
that's one of the things that always, like, I've really been envious of your type of mind. When you, like, something pops up, uh, an issue or a problem or whatever, you, all of us, like, oh, we solve the problem in our heads, but you go out and, like, activate it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And those are the kind of athletes that, those are the kind of athletes that you want. That, like, when they fail, they go, oh, that's part of it. And then when they succeed, they go, oh, that was cool. Let's see if we can do that again. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's, well, you only learn. Yeah. I like to say you can only learn when you've learned it through your body, which people then give me grief about. Right. Like, okay, but I'm not saying that you have a direct embodied experiential, a direct embodied somatic. I mean, it played out in your life. Like you had to live it. That's what I mean by it. You have to, a lesson only happens if you live it. Right. You have to go through it, which means you're in an embodied state going through it. And yet those failures are going back to my idea of coupled feedback loops. It's like a failure is not a negative feedback loop. It's a learning loop. Mm-hmm. It's not yeah, I've always, I, it's the learning loop. Yeah. I used to not be able to sleep at night and my dad just plastered this picture on the wall and it just said mistakes or wisdom mistakes of the building blocks of wisdom quote unquote and i was like oh shit so uh, <laughs> let's go let's go some sleep. shit up yeah. and uh and so and to me that's that's done really well and the only reason i bring up the widespread social media and everything is because it's not all it's not all rainbows and and sing songs it's a, a lot of it has to do with talking about you know, picking yourself back up and and moving on. And what I'm hearing from you guys, just time kind of, you know, perseverance and being around. And, um, and I hope the culture, uh, as quick as it's spreading and all kinds of changes are going on in the world. And AI is now doing podcasts with, uh, people that, that are not living anymore. And with people that, Oh yeah. I heard one with, uh, I heard a little thing with Joe Rogan and Steve jobs the other day and it was crazy. It was so crazy. But anyway, the spread of information and technology is moving so quick. That is my, my hope and, and desire that we preserve the integrity of this idea. And I don't think it's going anywhere because it's one of probably the most important thing that in athletics or in um, societies or business, like coaching is the thing. Coaching is continuum. Coaching is momentum. It's those that have come before us. It's how we've learned. It's how we've adapted. And um, so it's, I, I can't wait to see where it goes. I can't wait to see what a, what a coach, what the role of a coach is in 20 years with the technology. And I mean, that, that lights me up. I get goosebumps thinking about it. Like, is it going to, are we going to harness that power? Or are we going to not give it the um, reverence that it, that it truly deserves? And, and I think what things tend to go up and down and up and down. And I think we're in this nice little moment where we're learning how to harness the technology that we have yep. and we're adapting to it. So mix of the old style and the new style. Yep. And anyway, I, I, becoming more of an optimist as time goes on, although I used to spend a lot of time in pessimism, but I, I think it's going to be really exciting. So that's kind of where I'm at with the conversation. Yeah. Good. I like it. I think it's a great way, like great, great place to stop. Thanks guys. Thank you. Appreciate it, fellas. That was fun.